Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to The Reset with me, Sam Delaney, a podcast about mental health, but without all the usual bollocks. This week, my guest is the broadcaster, Adrian Charles. Adrian is someone whose work I've admired for many years. He's always come across as a down-to-earth and relatable sort of bloke. And I was particularly impressed back in 2018 when he made a really brilliant Frank documentary for BBC Two about his relationship with alcohol called Drinkers Like Me. In it, he examined the sort of everyday drinker that has their life basically together but still managed to drink more than is probably healthy for them. So not your sort of pissed up, park bench, cliched alcoholic, but yeah, under the radar problem drinker, which I think there's a lot of in this country. I know that I used to be one and so did Adrian too. But whereas I decided six years ago to give up completely, Adrian took a different path and decided to just try moderation instead. In the conversation you're about to hear, we talk about the challenges of both approaches. Adrian is also someone who's talked really openly about his general mental health over the years, his periods of depression, his use of medication and so on. He doesn't see it this way, but I think it's very brave of a man with his profile and status to speak so matter-of-factly about these issues. In fact, I've taken inspiration from him in that way. I think the casual tone in which he's able to talk about this stuff is really admirable and does loads to break down stigmas and encourage others to be a bit more open. One last thing, the subject of prescription medication comes up again in this chat. As always, I remind you that neither Adrian nor I are doctors, and so you should always discount our opinions, really. And if you've got any questions about meds, always consult your GP. Anyway, here we go. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Adrian, thanks so much for joining me on The Reset. Not at all, mate. So, Adrian, it was probably about, to, to my knowledge at least, two, three years ago when you first started talking quite openly about matters surrounding mental health tied into the, the fantastic documentary you made about alcohol. Um, was that the first time you felt comfortable being very open about these sorts of issues publicly? Um... I suppose I don't link the two together. Stupidly, I didn't link the two together. And in fact, it was doing the documentary which led me to link the two together, i.e., drinking and mental health. Absurd, though it, it, it absurd though that sounds. Um, I'd had some. I'd had, I'd had sort of therapy before then. Um, I've seen a, a psychologist and whatnot, uh, and. I'd never really spoken about it that much. If I remember one of my producers at one of the places I worked, it's either the BBC or ITV, take your pick. I said, Tom, when I was on antidepressants, he said, oh, I probably wouldn't mention that shit to anyone. And I always thought, I always thought about that. And then, well, I don't know. Well, what, does that, what, does, what does that say to me? I think you probably wouldn't get that anymore. And we're only going about sort of seven or eight, seven or eight years back. So 
you know, so it, it was it was through the drinking documentary that I started reflecting more on mental health. I think yeah, so. And I suppose people were saying, oh, it was terribly brave to make that drinking documentary. He didn't feel brave to me, actually. I don't know. He just didn't. He just felt sort of, just sort of matter of fact. I suppose it's a bit braver to talk about, to, to talk about mental health. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't think it's a stigma anymore if it was. I have never felt remotely as though it, 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 there was any kind of stigma about it, me talking to it. Nobody's looked down at me. Nobody's even batted an eyelid, you know, just say, oh, you know, I counselling or tandy presents, or I've got this, I've got that. They say, oh, yeah. It's just matter of fact. I'm sure in some, in some parts of society, maybe it still is a bit of a stigma. I don't know. For me, no. It's interesting, though, that, that what that producer said, like you say, just seven years ago. I know personally I would have been nervous myself about talking about my own problems and certainly being on medication when I yeah. was first on it. Um, and, you know, I think that did cross my mind. doesn't sound to me as if you were actively worried about people knowing until that was mentioned to you, and then maybe you still yeah, weren't worried. but even then I wasn't worried, but I just yeah. thought it was significant anyone had said, sort of don't mention it. But, I mean, you know, that was no big deal. It just, it, when I say there's no stigma, I often say that. I often think back to that moment, which was, you know, probably eight, nine years ago. I can't remember. But, anyway, it's just, it, it just, it, just a thought. What was your history, like your childhood, adolescence and that sort of stuff? What was, it, what was your history with regards to mental health? Was it something you had a problem with or you, that you were conscious of? Well, I mean, not, I, don't, I still don't know. I still, I still, I don't know whether having had to diagnosis specifically of ADHD recently, I felt, you know, I felt very much as if all my life made sense as soon as I opened this certain book on it. And it was just, my God, this is absolutely me. This is my life. But I am aware that, you know, maybe I am retrospectively sort of seeing aspects of my behaviour all my life and diagnosing ADHD in it. So I, I don't know. And in the end, I'm not going to trouble myself too much worrying about it. But I, I didn't feel as if I was out of the ordinary. I know I got, you know, I'd get down, but everybody gets a bit down. You know, there'd be times when I just couldn't apply myself properly. You know, you know times when I'd be a bit frenetic, times when I would be very down. I just felt that was pretty normal. And to... Plus, to a certain extent, I, st I still do, although the, the diagnosis has really helped me. What was the book? The book was, um, it's called um, Deliverance from Distraction. Right. And, I mean, it's interesting, actually, the, uh, how, how I got to that point. The, I, I'd had... Um, but I had, you know, I was really down, not last summer, I think the summer before, I really was struggling. And I saw this brilliant CBT uh, woman, a therapist in North London, uh, Anita Goreya, her name is. And, and she said to me after a few weeks with her, she said, have you ever been assessed for, for ADHD? And I went, I said, yeah, I had. Right, and that was, bear with me now, that was three years before that when I was assessed. 
And that arose because the psychologist I was then seeing, counsellor, whatever you want to call it, he said, oh, I think it might be worth you being assessed uh, for ADHD. Uh, it's a friend of mine's a consultant psychiatrist specialising in ADHD. You should go and see him. Right, so I went to see him. I think I had two sessions an hour each. And at the end, as I remembered it, he said, yes, you have some symptoms of ADHD. Got to be a bit careful with the medication because they might conflict with the blood pressure medication you want because I've got slightly high blood pressure. He says, have a think about it and come back and see me. And then the following day, I got a bill for 1,400 quid. Oh at which God. point, well, I mean, look, that's pretty standard for a yeah. kind of a Harley Street psychiatrist. But either way, I thought, hang on, this is private medicine gone bloody mad. Mm. You know, I've, I haven't got ADHD. It's just, you know. And, and that was that. So three years on from that, when Anita, the CBT woman, said, have you been assessed? I told her the story. She said, well, get the clinic to send me the notes. So the clinic sent her the notes, and in these notes was a six-page letter from the psychiatrist to me from three years before. So I'll do that again. But a note from the psychiatrist, a six-page letter from the psychiatrist to me three years before that I'd never received. And in it, it was all set out beautifully. It said, you know, of looking at everything in the round, I, I can see, I can trace your, most of your problems to ADHD. Need to be a bit careful with medication. Come in, we'll talk through the options. And if you want to know more, you might be interested in reading this book. And that was this book called Deliverance from Distraction. And I thought, right, so obviously I bought it. And as soon as I opened that book, everything made sense. Yeah. Everything. It was a real. It was a. It was a real moment. I thought, blimey, this absolutely is me. And you know, I talked to a few people close to me about it. There's a, a, a producer friend of mine, TV producer from West Belfast, who like was a very straight talker. Another colleague of mine, a sort of a woman in her sixties in uh, in uh, in the Midlands, who's um, you know, a bit sort of Eorish about things and there's my younger daughter and I, I spoke to all three of them about it and they said nah nah it's just nonsense and then I showed them three pages from the book where it outlines the key symptoms and they all said yep yeah, that's you you've got it go back and sort yourself out <laughs> so I went back to this psychiatrist then and we're on sort of three four years on and then I had to have a ECG just to check everything was all right there before you take this amphetamine-based um, treatment, medication, whatever it was. And, I mean, the effects are just instant. Instant? Mm, it's instant, yeah. It's not like, yeah, it's instant. Immediately, I just felt, well, it absolutely elevated my mood, and I just felt a lot more energy, which, if you're not careful, you could end up, you know, because on the, on the face of it, an amph amphetamines would give you, you know, amphetamines would be the last thing you need if you've got, you know, you've got ADHD because a component of it is hyperactivity. But it just, it just, it just evens you out at a very high level because what drives you nuts, as I understand it, is that your dopamine is going up and down and up and down all the time. I mean, it's, it's a physiological thing. Yeah. ADHD, probably hereditary as well. And so the amphetamines just even that out. And 
you know, it was almost frighteningly affected, effective. I kept, also the, the dose was started at 30 uh, and that was fine. Then went up to 50 and that was fine. And I had to keep going back and my blood pressure taken. And then while I was away, actually, I was in Croatia for a few weeks. I went up to 70 milligrams. I felt great. And when I got back, I thought, God, is this the moment where I'm up? You know, I go back to the shrink and the, he says, look, you can't have this. Mm. Your blood pressure's all over the place. But my blood pressure had absolutely gone down. Wow. You know, not we, it, it had actually brought it down because it had just taken, you know, it had just taken that layer of anguish out, out from between my ears. But it doesn't work on its own. You've got you've to sort of work on stuff as well that's why cbt was particularly good with it you know just just telling you to just learning ways to stop sort of evaluate think make a plan for what order you're going to do things not try and do everything at once can you relax better now absolutely 100 percent. but lockdowns helped as well with that you know i feel really guilty not guilty exactly but i I'm squeamish about saying it because, I mean, as a starting point, I haven't got trouble putting food on my table. You know, I, I, I'm not, you know, my whole livelihood isn't imperiled because of lockdown. So I'm one of the lucky ones, I accept that. But, you know, in terms of somebody who's incredibly gregarious, out all the time, running around, seeing hundreds of people, you know, doing all stuff, going all around the country, just just to be forced not to do that has been... Uh, unbelievably beneficial you know I, I, it's just and, and I just feel I almost feel liberated <laughs> I just I just think I just think we're, especially in London if you live in London I think you can't I think we're all overstimulated a bit there's just too much going on a friend of mine's a, a guide dog user and has been for years he's in his 60s and he always says that you know guide dogs tend to have to be retired earlier if they're based in London because they just can't get worn out. And I think there's, I think there's something in that with people as well. I think we've all gone through somewhere like this. You've got, you've got a, you. I think we've just got um, like constant FOMO, <laughs> a constant feeling. There's things going on. You're missing things out there that you're missing out on. Yeah, you know, and it's. I find it greatly liberating to think. Well, there isn't. Whether that'll all change in a year's time, if you know, if, every, if and when, hopefully everything comes back to normal. I don't know. Well, about the uh, relationship between alcohol and historically being an anxious person. I don't know if the ADHD diagnosis has has thrown all that stuff into a different light, but I know that in the past you've written and spoken about the fact that, in a way, you realised you you were actually self medicating. I think I can still just about make the argument that if you've got your drinking under control, although there are those who will argue there's no such thing as drinking being under control, but I think it, you know, it can have benefits. But in general, when you drink it as much as it turned out I was drinking when I started measuring it, then plainly it was, you know, plainly, you know, it causes anxiety and plainly that was a, that's a component, it was a component of it. I mean, all these things are, are sort of multi-causal. You know, ADHD was part of it, but ADHD causes you, you know, one, one of the many 
sort of symptoms of it is, you know, alcohol abuse or drug abuse. And I've never done drugs, but, you know, just drinking, you know, just just drinking too much. And I thought, well, what I realised, I was in that dangerous category, which is the one they really worry about in the harm reduction field of medicine in terms of alcohol, is, you know, the 5% street drinkers, you know, the ones who are, you know, you know, drinking perno in the morning, wet in the bed, you know, waking up on park benches, etc. Then it's, it's absolutely clear there's an issue there. Whether they can do anything about it or not is another thing, but it's clear. The, the, the biggest worry is the, next, is the next tranche, which I was in, as, you know, drinking 50, 60, 100 units a week and it having no obvious, you know, effect. You know, no, you know, still get to work, etc. And But, you know, on the other hand, it, it does affect your mood, you know. It does, you know, affect your other ailments, really, you know, blood pressure. That is, um, alcohol is the biggest known cause. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW of hypertension, also reflux, that's another one, you know, um, let alone the psychological aspect. So having got my drinking under control to a great extent, that, that has also helped. Yeah, I suppose there's a in recovery when you when you do AA, which I don't think you've done, but they often say, say it's like the, the gift of desperation, which is, you know, when you have those things that you, you associate with a drink problem like yeah, wet in the bed, losing your job, you losing your marriage, all the other kind of the big things in life, mass, massive health issue, right? Then you, then at least like it's like you've been given a gift where it's like here is the sign that you need to make a drastic change. Whereas if you are doing well in your career, your relationship, and all of the other touchstones of your life, then it can just go on and on and on. I mean... True. I mean, that's true. So I didn't have that gift, you could say. And a lot of people don't have that gift. And... They, you know, they, they, you know, they're going to make the last, the, you know, the last quarter of fifth of their lives very difficult. Probably, I was heading that way. I mean, I know nobody wants to live forever, but you know, I, I mean, I always I moderated basically for the love of drinking because you know I want to, you know, because I want to, you know, I still want to be able to, I still want to be able to have a, you know, have a, you know, tossed off down the pub for a pint when I'm seventy five. I don't know if some doctor said, look, you can't drink anymore now. You just can't. So, so it, you know, it was part, that, that was sort of partly why I wanted, partly why I wanted to moderate. I, I remember just what you said about the, the gift of desperation. I remember 
during the making of that documentary, I was playing golf in Birmingham with an ex-Tory MP, sort of randomly. I can't even remember how it came about. And I was telling him about what I was doing, about this drinking. And he said, he said, oh, yeah, I've, um, no, my, I, um, I'm, I'm blessed with hangovers, is how he put it, which is the same thought. You know, he said, I just get absolutely crippled with hangovers and that moderates my drinking. Well, I didn't get that. You know, I mean, I, I could have an absolute skin full. I'd be a bit, you know, I'd be a bit blurry, a bit plain, but, you know, strong coffee, you know, throw some food down and I was on my way again, you know. So, but that, that was unhelpful, ultimately. Short of doing what you did for the documentary and actually taking an audit, you know, fairly scientific audit of the units you were consuming and having experts tell you what the impact of that was. A lot of people aren't, aren't going to do that. What what do you, I'm sure you get lots of people asking you, like, ah, oh, do you think I've got a problem, right? How how can you define that? Because if, if we now know that you don't have to be, you know, basically homeless on a park bench with a bottle of scotch to define yourself as having a drink problem, how do you advise people to assess whether or not they've got an issue with drink? What I say is this, because I think they've heard just about every other definition of it, is that I say to the two key things. Firstly, regard firstly regarding what you've drunk. I thought I did a I did a, a calculation on the back of an envelope that I've been drinking since I was fifteen. I calculated that if I lined all the drinks I'm drunk in that time up, in that time, I lined them all up, that l- the line of drinks would be about four miles long. Right. So I thought, well, A, you can say, well, I'll put all that much through my body. Mm. You, know, that's, you know, that's a lot of booze. But the real tragedy is that if I identify of those four miles of drinks, which of those drinks are really wanted or needed, or enjoyed, right? I don't think it's a third. The rest of the two-thirds of them, it's just pointless drinking. Drinking because you're already out, drinking, nothing better to do, maybe you're a bit bored, you're just doing a pub, so you thought you might as well be drinking, I'm not driving, so I might be drinking. Just drinking out of, just mindlessly out of habit. Now, if you can work out which of your drinks you really you really need, want, or enjoy, stick to them and forget the rest, then, then, you, then you're on your way. Just, there was a bloke, and he, he kind of put the question as you did. He said, do you, do you think I've got a problem? It was, I was watching West Brom at, at Birmingham City, and at half-time, I, I was conducting what seemed like a seminar in the end. I mean, what a drop-in, a, like a drop-in clinic. People were clambering over the seat. All right, have a word. But yeah, all right. This is what a huge sort of black country guy said, uh, Oh, do you think, I, he goes, I drink 50 pints of lager a week. I said, do you think uh, yeah, that's too much? And like ludicrously, I found myself adopting the, the kind, the genial GP approach, sort of, well, you might consider cutting down. I thought, well, no, come on, it's, of course it's too much. But I said to him, look, let me put it this way. I said, those 50 pints of lager, I said, are you absolutely loving the bones of every single one of them? Are you draining each one of them and thinking, oh, I enjoyed that. I want another one. And he went off, fair point, fair point. Oh, I don't know what happened. He might have had a rethink. He might have moved it up to 60 pints a week. I don't know. 
people often say to me, how, how do you, isn't it boring, right? So for instance, football's a good example. I used to go to football as much for the drinking as I did for the football, right? Now I go and I, I've found it over the years to be, I, I actually enjoy football more because for the first time I'm actually watching the game properly and more absorbed in it, you know? Um, but I know people find that difficult and football's just one example. All of the things that we build our social lives around are very often linked to drink. So how have you handled that? You know, it's exhausting because you have built, I don't think everybody's like this, but drinkers of me are like this and probably drinkers like you were like this, is that you surround yourself with people whose social lives is also built around drinking. So you meet up with somebody you're at college with or whatever, you go and sit in the pub. That's just what you do. But the, the absolutely critical thing to remember is that we are in the minority. Most people aren't like that. We think all of life is in the pub. You know, most people aren't in the pub. But we've surrounded ourselves with people who are like that. And I think if you, you know, I left home to go to university. I think looking back, that's when you that's when you 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 learn about yourself and what you like in retrospect. Because every because then you you make you basically choose to a certain extent a whole new bunch of friends. Whoever you grow up with, you grow up with, but you choose your new friend. Now, I you know let's say I've got a you know a, a dozen of my closest compadres at university. They're all drinkers. There's not one non-drinker amongst them because I'm surrounded with people like myself. But the, the telling question people is I think when you speak to drinkers like me and you talk about the government's recommended maximum limit of 14 units of alcohol a week people go oh nobody drinks that little ridiculous I, I said it a million times myself and if you ask people then so of all drinkers how many drink 14 units or less a week they'll go oh like none or two percent Right, it's 70%. Of all drinkers, wow. 70% are drinking 14 units or less. Now, the figures are contested, right? But even allowing for a, a massive margin of error, more drinkers than not, even if let's call it 50%, more drinkers than not are drinking 14 units or less. So we're the outliers. So the public health campaign I put out there is like, be like the majority and drink sensibly or something like that. But once you have gone way beyond that for a long period of time, like you have, yeah. like I have, it's, I mean, there, there is a received wisdom um, amongst a lot of people who, 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 you know, in recovery that cutting down isn't possible. Well, yeah. you have done that, and I, I, I'm not quite sure. It, it feels like about three years ago when, when you made that documentary, yeah. uh, and by the sounds of things, you sustained that. Yeah. That's something that's quite rare, I, well, I think. I don't know how rare it is. That might be a fallacy, and certainly as you've been through, if you've been through AA, there is this binary theory about it, that the only way, the only thing to do is knock it on the head completely which I don't, I don't really buy. I also think it's damaging because that in itself, and that's got very deep roots, that feeling, amongst, you know, amongst people who don't go, ordinary drinkers who don't go, 
wouldn't dream of going to AA and maybe don't need to. But they will, they will not set about tackling their excess drinking because they've heard from somewhere that there's no point. The only option is to stop. And given the only option is to stop, I'm not going to do that. So I'll just carry on. I'm not pissing the bed. I'm not drinking perno in the morning, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that there's, there's, there are kind of issues with that. There, there, are, there are issues with that. I think that, I think just that, I mean, the secret to it, I mean, you mentioned, you said scientifically auditing, I think how you put it, how much you drink. I mean, it's, it's not that complicated. It's not scientific or nothing scientific about it. You just, you know, you just put, get an app like Drink Less is the one I use and you just input what you've drunk the previous night. It doesn't have to be bang on accurate, but about, you know, how many pints you've had you've been to the pub. If you've been at home, you know, how much, roughly how much wine you've drunk or whatever and just put it in and see where you're at and gradually and gradually bring that down. I'll, I'll say this, it's, it's, it is exhausting. Because at least if you stop completely, it's clear. So your friends won't ask you out for a drink. You know, you, nobody would be getting offended if you don't have a drink with them. You know, you, you, know, you don't have to think, well, do I drink tonight or don't I? Then that's, you know, that's, um, you know, that, that's a blessing. Because if you're just moderating, then my God, it's exhausting. Because you've got a thousand decisions to make. Every night, do I drink? Do I drink? I drank with X tonight, so do I drink with Y tomorrow night? There's that party on Friday, do I drink then? Do I have another beer now or don't I? You know, it just, that can, that, that, that can wear you out. And also, there's no beginning or end to it. I interviewed, a, uh, or I was interviewed by a fame, an actress called Finty Williams, who's Judy Dench's and Michael Williams' daughter. And she'd been sober for three years. And she was going out that night to celebrate the anniversary. And I said, well, you know, I'd never get that because you got, there's, no, there's no anniversary of moderation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. couldn't have a party to celebrate the anniversary of your moderating. Well, what would you drink apart from anything else? <laughs> you know, it's, it's always a work in progress. There's no sort of finality to it. But it's doable. Yeah. It is doable and it is definitely worth trying. Well, and, and so, you know, you, you keep track of it. Obviously, other things have, have made a difference. I mean, CBT yeah. is something you've you done, not necessarily for drinking, yeah. but presumably that sort of, doing that other sort of stuff well, it, helps it helped, too. but that came a long time after I'd cut down. What, what worked for me was just seeing it in black and white, seeing it, well, it's not black and white, but, you know, seeing it on the Drink Less app, just how much I was drinking, because that leads you eventually to considering which, as I said before, which drinks you really wanted, needed, or enjoyed. You think, well, you know, you look the following day, did I really need that one? Did I enjoy that one even? No. So why did I have it? So you kind of, it, it makes you, it makes you drink mindfully, actually, being mindful of how much you're putting away. And are you happier for it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. 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 No, I am. I mean, you know, there's no, there's no magic wand, but I'm de- yeah, I'm definitely, yeah, I am. I spent a lot of time just sitting in pubs because I thought, this is what I do. I go to the pub. And I'd never be smashed. I wouldn't have nine pints. You know, I might have, just as a baseline figure, I'd meet my mate around the corner from here. 
I tend to meet him after work and we'll have a couple of pints and maybe a glass of wine. But that would be, you know, if you're doing that five days a week, you're up to 20, 30 units a week. And that's without a night, a proper night out or a long lunch on a Sunday or whatever. You know, you're very quickly north of 50 units a week if you're drinking sort of basically five units a night anyway. Two pints a night for, two, depending on what you're drinking, but two pints a night, Monday to Friday, after work, then you're into basically getting on for double that 14 units, for starters. The, the goal for most people is to do what you've done and and to successfully cut down. And it, and it sounds like, you know, it, it's tough, but mm. I applaud you for it. It's absolutely incredible. Um, really appreciate your time. Not at all. Not at all. Really appreciate you being so open. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Thanks very much, Adrian. All right. Not at all, Sam. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed listening to that. It's interesting listening to Adrian's thoughts about cutting down rather than giving up booze. He's done a lot of research on that subject. He's currently writing a book about it, which I'll look forward to reading when it comes out. Personally, I reached the point where moderate drinking was no longer an option. I I knew I couldn't cut down. I found taking a unilateral decision to give up booze completely actually much easier because it was black and white. I could just remove alcohol from my life entirely and try not to think about it again. It wasn't an option. That was very liberating for me. Crucially, I don't miss it. There's nothing that happens in my life nowadays that I feel would be improved in any way by booze. Maybe I just came to realise I didn't enjoy it as much as I once thought I did. It was just a habit I picked up at an early age. But everyone is different. Adrian's approach seems to have worked for him so far and I hope it continues to do so. He's a top bloke and his take on alcohol and mental health is really refreshing and inspiring. Thanks for listening once again. If you haven't already, then please subscribe to the Reset newsletter, which is free and goes out every Friday. You can find it at samdelaney.substack.com. Remember, whatever challenges you're facing right now, talking about it always helps. There's always someone out there who understands and can relate, and you're never alone. Thanks for listening, gang. See you next time. Ta-da.